All right, our Old Testament reading this morning is actually from Psalm 118, verses 1 through 29. Some of this should sound very familiar to you uh, from our call to worship this morning, uh, but that call to worship kind of took bits and pieces from this. So here you get the whole thing all together. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. God, we do pray that you would help us this morning, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that we would have a better understanding of who you are and how we are to relate to you and to this whole world. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 118, verses 1 through 29. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will die. No, I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Turning then to our New Testament reading in the book of Galatians, as Uh, Paul describes his own coming to Jerusalem after having uh, come to Jesus and then spent some time away from Jerusalem. Galatians 2, 1 through 10. It says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not uh, running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. 
This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, those of you who have um, been here kind of week after week, especially recently, um, might expect that we would continue the story of Genesis that we have been going through, but we're not going to do that today. Um, we will get back to it. I know we're like 90% of the way through already, and you're like, we can't stop now. We're not going to stop. <laughs> but we are going to pause for just a little bit, kind of like we did back in um, December when we paused our series through Genesis and looked at a few of the uh, texts in the book of Matthew as we were looking at uh, Christmas and Jesus coming and what that means. And so today the sermon is actually titled The Son of David Part 2 because the Son of David Part 1 was actually the Sunday before Christmas. Um, and so I hope and I trust you remember everything that we said that day and just think back however many months ago that was for those of you who forgot. <laughs> this was, we were looking at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew and the way that Matthew tells the story of Jesus and the way that he begins the whole uh, telling of the story of Jesus. He begins with a genealogy of all things. And, um, and he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes through all these names from the Old Testament connecting Jesus to all that came before as relates to the promises of God and what he has uh, promised to his people, that he is going to send someone who is going to be this anointed one, that's what Messiah means, who is going to be in the line of David that was a kingly line, who is going to be anointed as this new king, this son of David, uh, who is also going to be the son of Abraham, through whom there's this promise that someone's going to come to be a blessing to all the world. And so that is how Matthew opens his gospel. That's a pretty big claim in that opening sentence, isn't it? That this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the guy. All the stuff that we've been waiting for, all those things, those promises from the Old Testament that have been coming forward, and we've been wondering how this is all going to come uh, to fulfillment. And just, it all just pinpoints right on Jesus. This is him. He is the one. And so this is, um, we're going to look later at Matthew now. We're actually going to start in chapter 20. And uh, I was tempted to start with just chapter 21, just the section on Palm Sunday of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But, um, but it's, 
it's so easy to get things uh, kind of out of their whole context. So I was like, well, we need to get a little bit more than this. And then just kept going. And so we, I'm just going to read the whole book of Matthew to you now. Okay, not quite. But <laughs> we're going to start in chapter 20, verse 20, and actually go all the way forward to 21, 17. And this will be more than we can then cover here in detail. But I... Uh, so really, the important part is just listening to this read. And I'll have some things to say after, but listen uh, to how Matthew tells of uh, Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem and, uh, and then what he does while he's there. Here we go. This is Matthew 20, starting in verse 20 and going to 21, 17. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, And, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered. We want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, 
My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. There we go. Now, as I say, mostly we're just listening to this this morning, but there are a few things I want to point out as we um, are thinking about this particular passage today. Uh, One is just several of the contrasts that we see. Because, uh, as I say, the the main part of this is Jesus riding into Jerusalem, right? It's Palm Sunday. This is what we celebrate. It's Jesus riding into Jerusalem and people uh, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This kind of thing. And so we, on one sense, like that's, that's kind of what we're supposed to be doing today is saying those same kinds of things and celebrating the same kind of way and recognizing Jesus as the king who has come into, not just into Jerusalem, but into this world and into our lives. But there's another part of this whole passage that is uh, even, this is that, that missed bit, the, the seeing but not really seeing, the recognition that the, he is the son of David, that he is this coming king, and yet not really understanding what that means. And so, in a sense, they kind of see, but they're kind of blind. And that's where the larger context helps us, too, because you see that in stories on both sides of it, don't you? Because you see this kind of seeing and kind of blindness with the, um, the blind men as they're leaving Jericho and there's a crowd following. And as they're going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. They're like, ah, be quiet. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And it's, it's this weird reversal as you have the crowds being like, oh, stop saying things like that. And it's like, why would they say that? Do they not understand who Jesus is? Can they not see who he is, that he is this Son of David? And yet it's the blind men who actually perceive. And so they have a way of seeing what's actually going on, even though their eyes can't see what everybody else's eyes can see. You go to the story on the other side of this, and you have Jesus entering the temple courts, and you still have the same kind of thing. The blind and the lame are coming to Jesus, and he's healing them. So on both sides of Palm Sunday, you see Jesus healing people who are blind. They can't see. They meet Jesus. They can see. (laughs) But there's also this other uh, side of things, this contrast with those who are um, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they do have eyes that work. 
They can see what's happening. And yet spiritually they're blind. Do you see it? This is when it says, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did. They saw the wonderful things he did. It just said that he, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. And the, uh, it's not like the chief priests and the teachers of the law had missed that. They saw it. They saw him healing people. And so they saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. And their response isn't to join the kids in praising him. But instead it says they were indignant. (sighs) Well, I never. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes. (laughs) And it's almost like, don't you hear what they're saying? And kind of yes, kind of no. And so you have this contrast between the blind men who actually see Jesus for who he is and the people who have eyes that work, who can see, who are actually blind because they don't see Jesus for who he really is. All they see is him as a threat to uh, their way of doing things. Of course, where we see this threat of... uh, their way of doing things, and this is how we see Jesus come into the temple courts, and he's turning over the, uh, the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. This is a favorite passage, isn't it? Oh, everybody likes this passage, right? This is the one that we go to whenever we get really angry about something and we want to do something about it because we're so angry about it, and somebody says, hold on now. Maybe you shouldn't be like that if you're going to be following Jesus. And then the response, of course, is, well, Jesus got mad. Jesus uh, turned over the tables, et cetera, right? This is very common. This is a very favorite thing. In fact, I'm not willing to bet, but uh, I would guess that you have either heard someone say this or said it yourself within the last year as a way of um, saying that, oh, well, what I'm doing is right because, after all, Jesus got mad and did this. Yeah? Fair? You heard this? You said this? No? Yes? <laughs> People saying it this morning, like, I don't want to say it now. <laughs> Here's the problem with it. Is uh, we are all too easily blind to our own selves and our own sinfulness and we are all too easily self-deceived we fall into the same problem that these uh, chief priests and teachers of the law had and we find ourselves doing things that aren't really what god has called us to do they're kind of these peripheral things that maybe they're not bad in and of themselves, but we start taking those things and making them central. And so these things that they're doing, this buying and selling and all of that, it's not that that stuff even was necessarily bad. Had it been done outside of the temple, had it been done a little bit differently, and had the central thing remained the central thing. But what had happened instead is that they were taking these outside things and making them the central things. And they saw no problem with that. And Jesus very much did. Uh, Because this is something that is not helping people to come to God, but it's actually become a barrier 
to um, what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so, yeah, he turns that over. But when we, <laughs> but the problem is, we start using that as an excuse to do our own anger things. And this, to me, this is the—I'm sorry for the graphic nature of the following illustration. Um, <laughs> but the best illustration I could come up with for what this is like. Uh, this kind of using this incident to justify our own stuff. It would be like a man uh, having an affair and then saying to his wife, I don't understand why you're so upset. I mean, Jesus hung out with prostitutes. Right? And if you were to hear that, you would respond and say, that is ridiculous. That should be our response when we use this passage to justify doing what we want instead of actually following Jesus. This is why we also included the earlier passage. Because do you remember what Jesus said to the blind men when they're calling out to him, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us? What do you want? Right? What do you want me to do for you? But That's not the first time he asked that. The first time he asked that was in the earliest passage we read when uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their mom comes up to Jesus with James and John right there and says, you know, well, she's got a, uh, a favor to ask of him. And he asks her, what is it you want? And what does she want? She wants for her kids to have power and authority in the kingdom of Jesus. That's what she wants. In other words, we have these uh, kind of the three main groupings of uh, temptation of money, sex, and power. And in this case, it was power. We want power. We want power. We want power in this world. We want power in the way that the kingdoms of this world operate. And I see Jesus as the way to get that power. So that's what I'm asking, Jesus. Do that. Give my sons this kind of power uh, when you come into your kingdom, kind of thing. And his response is, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus is not a means to an end. He's the end. He is a means and the end. And his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. This is where the people on Palm Sunday kind of got it but didn't get it. They kind of saw, but they were kind of still blind because they're cheering for him as the son of David. And what they were seeing in that is the one who is coming in the line of David, who's going to be this king like David, who is going to be this political ruler who drives out the enemies. And as they are currently in an area that is occupied by the corrupt nation of Rome, and they say, no, what we need is this one like a son of David. He's going to come, and he's going to drive out the Romans, and we're going to establish our own kingdom here again. That is what they are celebrating. That's who they think Jesus is, even though he comes in on a donkey. And he doesn't go to Pilate's house, or the governor's mansion. He doesn't go to where Herod is staying. He doesn't go and break up a council of the Sanhedrin of all these various political entities in Jerusalem at the time. But he goes to the temple. And he puts first things first again. 
This has always been supposed to be a house of prayer. This is supposed to be a place where people can meet with God. And the very people who are supposed to be helping that happen have gotten in the way. And that that is where he um, focuses his attention and his energy. That is where the, um, the true reformation needs to happen. Our tendency is to be like James and John's mom. Jesus were to come to you, what is it you want? What do you think would fix the problems that you see? How many of us would answer, well, if we just had more political power? Or if I just had more power and authority with sphere of influence kind of thing, if I could just tell people how to do it and then we just do it that way. But this is where Jesus calls his disciples together and is like, guys, guys, bring it in. Everybody take a knee. <laughs> That's not the way this kingdom operates. It says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. This is a very different kingdom. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's so much that we can see and still be blind. And so I think the correct answer, if Jesus comes and says, what is it you want? Is Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. What do you want me to do for you? Or do we want our sight? We want to be able to see. We want to be able to see clearly, truly, honestly, without deceiving ourselves, without trying to use Jesus to get our own way, but recognize him as the true king of the universe and the Lord of our own lives. That we would see him for who he is. That we would see ourselves for who we are. That he would give us sight. And just like these men, we would follow him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we do thank you for um, this time and this place where we can gather together. We can focus together on who you are. 
what you have told us in your word. Lord, we pray that that you would open our eyes to see more clearly the way that you have been revealing yourself to us in Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would um, help us to see to see you to see ourselves to see this world more from your perspective perspective that is true and right Lord, we ask that you would keep us from our favorite self-deceptions. Help us to help each other. And Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.